Talon, and I am joined, as always, alongside Luke Burrows and Nick Robinson. Uh, we have a lot to cover today, but before we get to that, remember to both download the Burn Burner and Zingo TV app available on iOS and Android devices. Zingo TV is also available on Chromecast, Amazon Fire, and Fire TV Sticks. Roku and Roku Sticks also on all Smart TVs 2016 forward. Hello, Nick. Hello, Luke. How are we doing today? Great. Good, Hi, Patrick. You're, you're getting better at that. Thank you. I'm uh, working hard. So yesterday we were finishing up our trade bait board going off of what TSN had as well as our own speculation. We were cut off at the fourth mark as there was a trade that broke. Um, but now that we have time to finish it, we're going to jump into our trade bait. We're going to jump into our take to take awards. But before we do that, we're going to cover uh, a little bit of news as there were two pieces of news or, or bigger pieces of news in the NHL today. And that first one is about the Ottawa Senators placing Bobby Ryan on unconditional waivers with the purpose of a buyout. Um, the first buyout window opens today and runs through 5 p.m. until October 8th. So as you can see there, it's charging Ottawa 3.8 for the next two seasons and then 1.8 after that, if I'm reading that correctly. Yep. Um, I didn't see it coming. I thought it would have happened a while ago. I don't they were going to hang on to him a little bit longer, but Nick, I'll, I'll start with you seeing as you're the sense fan here. What are your thoughts on the buyout? Obviously, Bobby Ryan had a I don't want to say a down year, but sort of consistent with how he's played. He had that really emotional comeback where he scored the hat trick. Um, Bobby Ryan obviously has not lived up to expectations contract wise, as far as his play goes, but just overall a feel good story for, for him this year, obviously going through a bunch of difficulties. What are your thoughts on, on the buyout? Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Obviously, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Everybody's really surprised this happened uh, out in Ottawa, at least. I'm not sure what sort of the reaction from other fan base in the league is, but I know you guys just being uh, other casual hockey fans, like we're pretty taken aback by this. Obviously, Bobby Ryan had a pretty trying year. And, you know, this is a big contract he signed back in 2015, seven-year deal, paying him $7.25 million annually. He has never lived up to that. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Bobby Ryan was the superstar that we signed him to be, or we uh, Ottawa Senators fans ever thought he was going to be. But at the end of the day, Bobby Ryan's been a name and he's been a big part of the Senators now in this era, but he is now the last of the old guard and the last of that 2017 Eastern conference final uh, team back in 2017. So it's a changing of the guard in Ottawa. It's really surprising everything. And uh, I don't know how I feel about it. It's, it definitely has its pros and cons, but I, I don't know if you guys have any immediate reaction to it. I like, I, I'll, I'll keep it short because I, I don't have too much to say on Bobby Ryan, but um, the timing is the only thing that's a bit funny to me. Like, yeah, Nick, Nick said he, he never played up to, to the contract that he signed. I don't think there's any argument there. It's just a bit funny that they've done this now. Um, not saying it's a bad decision hockey wise. I, I could, like, I could argue that both ways, but um, like, like Nick said about change of the guard there, I, 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 I get that. And that, that's a, that's a funny thing to do. And it, a, a buyout, at least in my eyes is always, kind of one of the the tougher ways to to end your time somewhere so it's it's a little weird I, I i wouldn't hate it if i were a sens fan but um it's just a little questionable timing wise no it definitely does have its pros and cons um you know bobby ryan is now going to free up a roster spot for somebody like a drake batherson or a vitaly abramov 
two of the players that Suns fans are sort of hoping can step into the lineup next year. So it definitely does free up some ice time for those players. But like you said, Luke, it's sort of the timing that's really, really interesting here. Obviously, some of the insiders are pointing towards it. Uh, I know Pierre Lebrun and Haley Salvian had both suggested this was probably more of a hockey move. But I know myself and a lot of other people um, that are fans in the market just, you know, I hate to say it, but this this screams money motivated to me. Obviously, we talked about it yesterday a bit. COVID-19 is going to have just a profound effect on hockey and the entire sporting world. And, you know, Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa Senators have never been a cap team. They've always, you know, cut costs where they can. And this just seems like it's of that ilk to me. If they wanted to free up that roster space, I think they would have just simply not re-signed one of the pending UFAs they have. Um, or just moved another player out that was easier to move than Bobby Ryan instead of going through the hassle of a buyout. Um, Because, you know, Bobby Ryan averaged only 13 minutes a night last year, and, you know, he hardly played top six minutes, and he was a consistent, healthy scratch at points as well. So, I don't know. This screams money move to me. I'm sure uh, this wasn't just Pierre Dorian's knee-jerk decision to buy out and free up a roster spot. I'm sure there was somebody up above him, you know, feeding him a message. So now, that's- now that, that I'm looking at this kind of longer here, wouldn't it maybe have made more sense just, and maybe that's what you guys are saying, just to keep him on for, uh, cause I mean, let's all be honest. Ottawa is not going to be a cap team in the immediate future. I don't know. Why wouldn't you just keep him on instead of having this? Well, exactly. Uh, right. They're now $22 million under the yeah. salary cap floor. That's almost unprecedented, right? They, they're going to have to come up with that salary or they will be punished by the league for it. And, you know, I thought, at least in my mind, having Bobby Ryan and his contract on the books was just an easy solution. You have him there as sort of a mentor for the younger players. Maybe he can play minutes uh, if there's injuries or if some of the younger players are struggling early on. It, th- keeping him just made a lot of sense to me. And I didn't think for a second that he wouldn't be on the team last year, especially after sort of the fairy tale ending he had to last season. So again, it, this screams money motivated because now that we've talked this out, it just doesn't seem like there's enough hockey motivation to make this sort of a transaction. So. Yeah. I, I, there was a lot of talk and, and I know people have said this for a while and Nick, you and I have talked about this, that a lot of sense fans are, are, given the space they have that they could take on a bigger contract. And now people seem to think that, for, that, you know, relieving yourself of this Bobby Ryan deal somehow allows for that. You could have done that with the Bobby Ryan deal. Exactly. And obviously you talked about the fairy tale ending. He, obviously we all know he went into um, the NHL player uh, assistance players program. assistance program in early November, 2019 came back and uh, won the uh, Bill Master Memorial trophy this year. So it really was a great story for him and a team that is rebuilding it's, it's interesting and it's, you want to have a player like that in your rebuild. He's still a solid middle six player. It's not like he's, he's, he's a bad hockey player. He's just not worth the money. And, you know, he said he spent six years in Ottawa. Um, He had about 266 points through 455 appearances, Um, hit 20 goals twice with Ottawa. It's not that he's a bad player. It's just not worth the money. So I agree with you, Nick. I think it's definitely money motivated and I'm not sure if they needed to move him to free up a roster spot, look, and I'm not just saying this because it's Ottawa, but they don't have the most talented forward group. Plenty of their forwards are RFAs. Uh, about six of their forwards are RFAs this year. So it, it wouldn't hurt, wouldn't have hurt to keep him. And I know you're expecting um, whoever they draft to step in in the next couple of years, but it's not like 
Bobby Ryan there would have hindered their ability to make the team or anything like that. So um, again, there we pulled this up quick. This is just yeah. a quick depth chart now without Bobby Ryan. And, you know, the senators are going to add some players to this depth chart this season. Uh, no question. It seems like they're going to move one of their four mm -hmm. second round picks. I know that's been suggested by some of the media in Ottawa and uh, you know, they're, they got the two top five picks obviously, but it looks pretty thin right now. And I don't know how they suddenly expect themselves to transition from rebuilding to playoffs as quickly as Eugene Melnick and Pierre Dorian have suggested. It just seems, you know, obviously Bobby Ryan wasn't exactly going to be a part of that, but you know, they've torn it down now. This is the end of the teardown. There is nothing left that the senators have to trade from. Yeah. The that's old a days, bad team. That's right? a really bad there, team. There's nothing left. Everybody from 2017 <laughs> is gone now. Yeah. With Craig Anderson, Mark Borbietsky leaving this week. There's nothing left to do. So this is now the launch point for the senators and looking at this right now, they still need to add a lot more to that before they have any hopes of being what they expect themselves to be. Yep. Um, if there's nothing else in Ottawa, I want to move on because there was other news involving uh, in Montreal, Montreal. Yep. Uh, and we can get to this because I feel like we all have different opinions, but after sitting on it, anyway, we'll get to that. But uh, Jeff Petrie signed a four year extension um, with the annual average value of $6.25 million. He was set to be a UFA in the 2020, 21 season. So next year, um, your thoughts, we'll start with you, Luke, because I know you earlier said you were leaning towards not liking the deal, but um, we'll hear your thoughts. I think it's, fan before we get to that, I think it's, a, I don't think it's a fantastic deal. I said that initially, but after looking at, at the term, looking at the hit, I still think it's a good deal. Um, Jeff Petrie is a first pair defenseman. He's one of the more underrated defensemen in the league. Statistically, 40 points, three years in a row. He, he, he's an offensive driver, and I think it's good to re-sign him. And we'll talk about the logistics earlier. Yeah, let, let's later, say the but, terms of the deal first. I don't think we. So the term that. is four years. So he will be a uh, UFA in 2025, 2026 season. Um, the 6.25 million average. Yep. And he yep. will be 37 when that deal is up. I don't love it as much as I initially did. I still think it's a good move, though. So, Luke, what do you think? I don't hate it, uh, but I definitely don't love it. Like you said, it's like right now it's fine. He's going to, he's going to play up to that contract for sure in the next one, two, hopefully three seasons, but just he, he's yeah. 32 right now. I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have committed to that again. I kind of mentioned this earlier, but it's not like this is a deal. At least I would assume it's not like this is a deal that's going to come back and absolutely burn them a few years down the road. It's a, it's a fairly kind of manageable deal, even if it's not, going to end up being great which that's just my opinion right now i don't think it will be but i it's not it's not absolutely horrendous i just probably wouldn't have gone that term okay i think i wouldn't say he only has one to two seasons left of that production well i'm just saying yeah okay i, I, I just think... saying for that caught for the for the amount you're paying him he's absolutely going to play up to that for the you know first chunk of the contract but i would I... I don't questions. see many defensemen built so much on that big with that speed and the mobility that he has die off really quickly. Um, I think he, he has a lot of play left in him. He's usually been pretty, relatively healthy throughout his career. Um, the term looking at it now thinking, okay, he's going to be 37. He'll be a, a UFA one year before Shea Weber, who's going to be like 40 when he's a UFA. So again, I, I, I don't, 
initially I was like, that's awesome. Four more years of Jeff Petrie. Now it's sort of like, okay, that's a good move. Maybe it's a one year too much, but um, he wouldn't have taken three years in Montreal and it was about getting him to stay. And that was probably the best way. If Montreal was competing now, I think that's a great move, but they're not. So, yeah, I, I, I think Pat, you know, that I sort of initially, when we sort of talked about it before the show, I sort of struggled to see, um, the appeal in terms of what the term of the deal is. Um, obviously we have the graphic here from Jay Fresh Hockey and, you know, Petrie very strong at both ends of the ice. And he is one of the more underrated defensemen in the league, but I, I know what you're saying, Pat, and he has been relatively healthy throughout his career. And I think that's a very big positive, but you know, at least it, it, the age curve of a general NHL player, they do start to, um, fade sort of nowadays on the wrong end of 30 and you know to his credit Petrie is 32 and he's still he's gotten better last year was one of his best years of his career probably the best you can make the argument and you know he's going to be 33 when this deal kicks in and you know I don't have any doubts that he'll be good next season and I'm sure he's going to be good the season after that the first two years of this deal I think we can expect a bit of a die-off in the third year but not to the point where it's detrimental. But I think the fourth year of this deal is definitely where yes. I get, um, I, I'd be worried if I was Montreal because that is a big contract to have on their books at that point. But again, what this deal is um, and how it's looked at is all going to depend on how the Montreal Canadiens do right. in these four years that he's here. So again, he's a good player to have around. He should be relatively productive for the majority of the deal, but it's not going to matter really if the Montreal Canadiens aren't good because let's say they're in a position in four years or now that's sort of the same, um, the tweener type thing that they are right now, then this becomes a hard deal to move, um, especially attached to a 36 or 37 year old Jeff Petrie. So, you know, it's a good deal on the surface. Um, The term isn't great, but if the Montreal Canadiens are at least good while he's here, then I think we're going to say overall at the conclusion of it that this was a good transaction for Montreal. Right. And the expectation again for Montreal this offseason is for some bigger moves to be made to get a a top six right winger to get more help on defense to really put them over. I don't want to say over the edge, but putting putting them closer to almost competing level. I know the bar is set so low, but um, to be more than just a tweener team, you have Max Domi, who's an RFA and he's been involved in numerous trade rumors, Victor Mete is an RFA. And I think Max Domi, Deneau is a, a UFA next year. These are players that are going to demand a lot of money and Mark Bergevin has leverage. He can move them given their perceived value. Someone like Philip Deneau, one of the better two-way centers in the league. So we'll see what happens throughout the off season. If this is one of the only moves he makes as far as signings go, and even you can throw in trades and free agency, I wouldn't be happy because it's still the same team just with an extended defenseman. But if they add a top six forward, if they sign a marquee free agent, if they get help on defense um, surrounding with Shea Weber and Petrie, then I would I would like the deal a bit more. So I agree with you guys there. It depends on on which way Montreal is going there. Um, moving on, and we'll finally get to the segment we finished with. They're almost finished. Uh, and yesterday's yesterday's episode that was the trade bait board. Uh, we finished with Patrick Line. I believe I said Winnipeg, but then I changed to Montreal. We all had our thoughts. We are at number four. And Nick, I'll sort of hand this over to you. We were, I think we were at Oliver Ekman Larson at number yes. four. Yes. So, so just to uh, recap, this is uh, the top 10 from TSN's uh, yearly trade bait board that they do prior to the off season. 
So we went through yesterday, Chris Letang, Marc-Andre Fleury, Max Domi, Kyle Palmieri, Shane Gostaspir, and Patrick Lyonne. And now we're going to jump into, like Patrick said, Oliver Ekman-Larsen of the Arizona Coyotes, obviously signed a massive eight-year extension just a, just over a year ago, I think. And, uh, you know, there's definitely a changing of the guard in the desert. Patrick, I'll start with you. Where can you see Oliver Ekman-Larsen being this offseason? Does he move or does he stay? Um I think he should move. And I think a team that is just in absolute disarray needs to move on from him. And I know we talked yesterday, I actually listened back to the episode. I said, I have Ekman Larson going to, and then we said, Oh, there's a trade announced. Never got to say it, but the Edmonton Oilers um, that's where he will go. And I have, I have some, again, hypotheticals, but uh, some move involving Ryan Nugent Hopkins going to Arizona in a deal involving Oliver ekman Larson, The Oilers desperately need defense, especially offensive defensemen. I know we've talked about ekman Larson being a little bit overrated and and having a name that, that people think is a bit better than he actually is, but I have him going to Edmonton and Nugent Hopkins goes to the desert. They get a younger center who can still put up a um, decent amount of points. He's a UFA in two years, so they don't have to resign him or they can move him. And he it's, it's about a wash contract-wise because they're making similar amounts of money. All right, Luke? I have a similar answer. He, he's almost going to Edmonton, but not quite. I have him going what? to Calgary. Um, oh. Now, the timing might be a bit off on this, just contract-wise. Um, like, I'm just looking at how, how Calgary's defense core is aging, and it's it's maybe not ideal, but I'm looking at, like, Giordano and stuff, and who knows what, what he's going to do, and I think two year two seasons from now whenever that is um but i think i think calgary they're not they don't have obviously tons of space but i think just for the for the kind of um for the kind of defenseman they'll need in the coming years i think he would fit and yeah you guys kind of mentioned not an ideal contract but like he's he's not it's not like it's an absolute wash in terms of um, massive overpayment or anything. So I wouldn't hate it. Um, that would be my guess. And most of that hinges on, on, they have a lot of, um, a lot of defense up this year, Giordano in two years, the only two long-term, I believe are Hannafin and, and Hannafin's on a movable contract. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not saying move him. I'm no, saying, but I'm saying if you had to, if you had to make space, or you Anderson. wanted to, yeah. If you wanted to reshape anything, it's not like they're tied up with. So I'm not. Hannafin. Yeah, no, and I'm. That's good or bad, but I'm. I'm saying um, they have a lot of decisions to make this off season in terms of what they're going to do with defense. Maybe take a look at Ekman Larson. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to throw in quickly. I am going to pick somebody outside of Alberta, and I think Oliver <laughs> Ekman Larson is going to end up on the Buffalo Sabers this off season. New GM in town. I think the Sabers are desperately in need of some positive talking points. And I think they're definitely going to try and make some sort of splash this off season. And, you know, we have discussed Oliver Ekman Larson potentially being overrated, but he is a big name. And, you know, I feel like that's something that the Pagula family will push for in Buffalo because they need some sort of positivity surrounding Jack Eichel in this team right now. And I could definitely see it with the amount of cap space that they have. Um, all right, we'll move on to number three, which is Josh Anderson of Columbus Blue Jackets. Patrick. I have him, excuse me, going to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, this isn't really based on anything legitimate, except for the fact that 
whenever there's been rumors and speculation, Anderson's name has always gone to Toronto. Um, he's an RFA this year uh, in Columbus. He's 26. He's a really strange player. He has the skill. He has the upside to be, I think, a top six right winger. And I think he'd be a fantastic addition to the Toronto Maple Leafs. He had a very down year, uh, both statistically, analytically, and, and people were impressed with his play. Like, 26 games in Columbus, he had one goal, three assists. But in 2018, he had 27 goals and 20 assists, 47 points. Um, and I think Toronto could definitely move on, move some assets and, and look to acquire Josh Anderson. I think he'd be a good fit. Um, we know Toronto's situation isn't great, but I, I don't think uh, Anderson would be making any more than $4 million. So um, I have Josh Anderson going to Toronto. All right, Luke. I think take advantage of the fact that he just had an off year. Um, Tyler Toffoli probably isn't going to resign. I don't see why he shouldn't come to Vancouver. I, his, and I'm, and I'm comparing him a lot to Toffoli here. His, I don't want to say his ceiling because it's kind of hard to judge at this point in their careers, but his peak is probably a bit under that of Toffoli's. And if Vancouver can bring him in three years max, I'd, I'd like that. I like, he's obviously, it's not like his career is over after one bad year. He's still, he's still Josh Anderson. He might not get back to um, 50 point seasons, but I think in terms of Vancouver, they're keeping Besser. That is hopefully for certain. Um, is it? Yes, Patrick, it is. I just texted Jim Benning and they're going to keep him. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of Canucks fans seem to think that they're going to go with Toffoli and no. they, they could move. Okay. No, nope. just saying. Just okay. For, just for the sake of conversation. Luke's pretty confident on oh, that. That's, Luke no, is that's... actually co-GM. Yes. Okay, uh, I'll throw in my <laughs> team for Josh Anderson, which is the LA Kings. I think he sort of fits their style of play. They've long been the big, rugged, tough team of the NHL, and I think Josh Anderson sort of fits that mold, but he definitely also has some skill um, and could be a useful player. So I could, I could see the LA Kings, who are just sort of now looking to build back up, They'll add obviously the second overall draft pick this year, and that's really going to help them and put them back sort of hopefully into the playoff contention in a weaker Pacific division. So I can see them uh, wanting to add a player like Anderson, who still has a bit of upside, but could also help them right now. All right. Number two on the list is James Van Riemsdyk of the Philadelphia Flyers. Signed a big UFA contract a couple of years ago. He's still an effective player, but maybe losing his place in Philadelphia now, now that they're sort of on the way up. Patrick, what do you see for JVR this offseason? I have him staying unless they just want to rid themselves of the contract. You wouldn't get max value for JVR. Um, he's a good player, 31 years old, but I have him staying in Philly. Um, he still hit 48 goals in the last two seasons. I don't think that's that bad. I know he was this year was a little underwhelming scratch in a couple playoff games, but I, I have him staying in Philly. Luke? Realistically, I also have him staying. Um, just I, I don't think it's it's worth it to try to to try to move him because, like Pat said, you're not that that deal is probably not gonna not gonna be be good on terms of what Philadelphia receives. But I'm just kind of thinking now, maybe, and I said this about someone else, and I forget who. Oh, Ghost Despair. Uh, maybe look at Seattle, whether it be uh a deal pre-expansion draft or something like that i'm not sure but um it's his contract specifically it's like it's not i think there's three years left is that correct it's not it's not yep. brutal it's just it's it's a bit like it's one maybe two well yeah even one year uh too 
late in the way Philadelphia is heading. If, if that was ending this year or next yeah, year, I'd sense. say it's a no brainer. Keep them, just hang on to it. But Philadelphia is obviously on the upswing and that might cause some issues that contract. All right. I, I'm going to be super boring and say he's also staying. Um, I don't see any sense right now for Philadelphia to move him. I think it's something they'll try and revisit maybe next off season or during the expansion draft to try and move him um, to Seattle and sort of get out from under that contract, but you know, they don't have any really big UFA or RFA talents right now, Philadelphia coming up. So I think at least for the next year, they can afford to keep him unless they really just want to try and move him to maybe shake things up. But uh, I don't think that would make much sense right now. I definitely think he's going to stay at least one more year. All right. And we're going to wrap it up now with number one on the TSN trade bait board. We've talked about on, on this show plenty already. It's Matt Murray of the Pittsburgh Penguins, two-time Stanley Cup winning goalie, still on the younger side. He's an RFA this season. We've talked plenty about him. Patrick, what do you see in store for Matt Murray this offseason? Definitely seems like he's got a move. Ottawa. Hi. Uh, sorry. We should we should cycle who we asked because Nick has asked me first before Luke, but I have well, I also say centers. Ottawa. Um, I, th- I, th- I, just, I think it makes sense. He's relative. He is pretty young. I think he's, what, 24? three um, four i think that's still relatively young for i know he had a down year and, and penguins fans were pretty upset with him especially his play in the playoffs they were um, both wrong sorry he's 26 which oh, is still mind. young for a goaltender yeah that's still fine still young for a goaltender <clears throat> he's an rfa this year um they seem pittsburgh seems to be going with tristan jari or and casey DeSmith going forward and i think matt murray fits well with toronto um or ottawa and i think that's what they will do yeah, I I agree. Um, I should have asked you first, but no, that's okay. I I think Ottawa like Ottawa has a lot of choices in terms of what they do with their goalie, uh, with their goalie situation. If they keep it short term, make a decision in a few years, that'll work. Or if they if they want to commit to something now, which I probably wouldn't do, that would probably also work. So I I think either way, he's a he's a good option. All right. Uh... Once again, super boring. I'm also going to say the Ottawa Senators. I know a lot of Ottawa fans uh, are really hesitant with this one. I don't understand that personally. I think Ottawa has the prospect and pick capital that they can afford to take a shot on somebody like a Matt Murray. And, you know, obviously he's got a great track record. He did have an off year last year, but he has had um, other really solid years so far in his young NHL career. And obviously I think Ottawa needs sort of a goalie of the future type thing going forward. I don't think Marcus Hogberg is quite that. So I think they do need to bring in another goalie. And I think Matt Murray is going to be that guy. All right. So that wraps up our TSN trade bait board. Um, I guess now do you guys want to move into the first annual take to take awards? Yeah. Nick, you prepped this more than we did. So you can just take care of the, the sort of how we, go about saying it if you want to just move on to this now sure thing all right so the first ever take to take awards here we have 10 categories that we've uh, created here these are not actual nhl awards these are our own uh very made up awards that i think we feel like should be awards but not really because it's kind of silly um but yeah we've picked each picked out uh one moment or player or team for each of these categories so uh we'll get things started with the most improved award for 2019-20. So this is all talking about last off season and last regular season. Anything that happened after the conclusion of the 2018-19 season is in contention for all these answers. 
Biggest improvement of the 2019-20 season. Luke, I will start with you. Well, might be a bit biased. of biased here. Uh, I don't know, a bit. bit. And I will say it might not be most improved. It might more be... He had a good season? A, well, yeah, but put in a much better situation compared to where he was. Um, I have JT Miller. I feel like I probably don't need to explain that too much. No, I'll explain uh, it. Well, he had <laughs> he had 72 points. He had a career year. He played pretty darn well compared to his his Tampa and New York years. I I I think he kind of shut up anyone that had issues with that trade. Even though I still think about that first, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I I don't have to go too in depth. I'm assuming you all agree that he's really good. So. Yeah, I think he was just what Vancouver needed this offseason. They needed like another complimentary winger to add to that mix, play with the big young guys a bit. Patrick, your most improved player this season. I put Robin Leonard, and I know goalies are weird, and we've talked about goaltending before, but just, and this is also in part his story and his, how he talked about mental health. Um, he went from a 301 uh, goals against average to 1.6, 918 save percentage to a 940. I thought he was fantastic for Vegas. And again, just sort of going back to being vocal about his mental health and talking about how he's changed as a person. And how, even though he's struggling, he's working and working to improve his mental health. I went with him. I thought he was one of the more exciting players to watch in uh, this year's playoffs. Great answer, Pat. He's definitely been one of the better players to follow off the ice showing that, you know, not only can players change their perception of uh, their teammates and fans on the ice, but also off of it. And he's been a great example and a great leader, um, especially through these hectic times that we're living in. Uh, I am also biased like Luke, and my biggest improvement this season was Anthony Duclair, a player that, you know, at times has seemed like he's been out of almost on his way out of the league, um, especially as he was wrapping stuff up with Arizona in 2017-18, had a forgettable stint in Chicago, and then, you know, really butted heads with John Tortorella in Columbus in 2018-19. But it seemed like he got a new lease on his career when he joined the Ottawa Senators at the trade deadline uh, last season. But this season, he really ramped it up, 23 goals, 21 of those came before Christmas, if you could believe that. He definitely had a cool off stretch there. But he essentially went from a healthy scratch and an afterthought with three different organizations to an NHL all-star this year with the Ottawa Senators. And, you know, Anthony Duclair, definitely, he's still got some things to his game that he can improve, but he's an excellent shooter and a really creative offensive player and somebody I really enjoyed watching this season. I think the best is still yet to come from Anthony Duclair in Ottawa and was definitely the most improved player for me this season. All right, so contrary to that, we are going to move into the biggest disappointment of the season. This is for players. So, Patrick, your most disappointing player this season? Uh, Jeff Skinner, obviously. Um, Well, not obviously because I'll mention my honorable mentions, but um, 40 goals last year, 63 points to 14 goals and 23 points. He only had nine assists this year. He's making $9 million till 2026, even when the contract was signed. We all knew he was going to get a big payday and that he had a fantastic season prior, but he's not worth that much money. I don't know how many wingers are worth that money, money, that much money. I think some wingers are overpaid. Uh, Hello, Mitch Marner, but we can, Mm. but specifically um, Jeff Skinner, like, that's a brutal year. It was a brutal contract, even when he had 40 goals, like he he's making one mil less than Jack Eichel for 
for only 14 goals is pretty disappointing. Um, but my honorable mentions, if I can just speak on that, were uh, Bobrovsky, Debrinket, who also went 40 goals to 17 goals. And then Sean Monaghan was another one who went from uh, 82 points in 78 games to 48 points in 70 games. So, but I think Skinner was the biggest one and, and people seem to forget how bad that contract really is. Yeah, no, people definitely have forgotten about it because there's just so much more going on in Buffalo that it really has yeah. escaped focus from a lot of people. So Luke, I'll throw it over to you now. Who is your biggest disappointment this season? Same, same. Um, and that, yeah, the, I think it, it gets magnified with that contract that just, that hurts. And I, like lo- looking at at Skinner's progression over, I don't know the past five years. I just I don't see why that was made. He got he I don't know what kind of negotiating was happening there. He must have got really lucky on that one year, and and just made that work because that 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 makes no sense. Like Pat said, even with even with that career year, I, there's no reason to sign that. So. All right, uh, my most disappointing player this season was Jamie Benn. I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but, you know, the Dallas Stars have been, you know, an exciting team to follow even before this incredible playoff run that they've been on. But, you know, it's been really in no part in the regular season thanks to Jamie Benn. Only 39 points in 69 games this year. That's You expect a lot better of somebody that's making $9.5 million and is the captain of a team. Dallas overall offensively was really disappointing, but you know, Jamie Ben has definitely cooled off and that's pretty concerning for a player that's 31 years old. Obviously, you know, that's been silenced a bit during this incredible playoff run he's had, cause he's probably been their best forward throughout the Stanley cup playoffs with eight goals and 10 assists, but overall in the regular season, just 39 points. It's a disappointing output for a player that quality and somebody that's been proven to be such an effective uh, player. He's, a former Art Ross winner and you know, the cool off has been quick for Jamie Benn. Hopefully this playoff run is putting some energy back in his legs and we can see better from him next season, but he's somebody I definitely expected a lot more from and is for that reason, the biggest disappointment for me. All right. We're going to move back into the biggest improvement category, but this time for teams specifically, Luke, I'll throw it over to you. Your biggest improved player was JT Miller. Who do you say for overall team? Not the Vancouver Canucks, surprisingly. Um, I had Philadelphia, and I and that probably doesn't need too much explaining. And their their kind of late season season push, whether you whether you believe that's really the team they are or not, that's that's pretty impressive and bodes well for for the next even long term for them. So you know, and looking at specifically, if we're talking about how much they improved, looking at two years ago. Um, compared to this year where they were arguably the best team at the break. Um, again, that's just maybe getting hot at the right time, but yeah, I had the Philadelphia Flyers. Patrick. Yeah. I, that was one I was going to consider. And I had a feeling all of our picks would have been one of these two teams. Um, looking specifically from last year to this year, there wasn't that much change in the standings that would have really caught your eye. Certain teams went up and down a few spots, but the Rangers improvement was was pretty significant, obviously um, drafting Capo Caco, um, signing the marquee free agent and Panarin. And they just played extremely well. They were on a mission down the final stretch before COVID-19 sort of put everything to a halt. So I want the New York Rangers. Yeah. And uh, I also went with the New York Rangers here. Obviously the signing of Artemi Panarin really 
changed everything for the New York Rangers. Mika Zibanejad was excellent this year, and it really um, aided their ascent up the standings. And the three goalies this year, obviously, I don't think have gotten enough attention just because their early playoff exit. But Lungfist, Georgiev, and uh, Shosturkin all deserve some sort of credit for what the Rangers did this year. I'm still not sold on David Quinn, the head coach over there. I think there's going to have to be a change in the guard there at some point before this team can really hit that next level. But, you know, once you throw Alexi Lafreniere into this mix, the way they're already ascending up the standings, they're definitely going to be one of the best teams in the NHL, I think it's fair to say, in the short future. All right, now our biggest disappointment in terms of teams. Uh, Luke and I have the same answer here. Luke, I'll throw it over to you so you can You can explain. go first if you want. I don't want to steal your thunder. You did have it down first, so. Okay, uh, I will start then. Uh, Luke and I both said the San Jose Sharks are the biggest disappointment this year. I think that one's fairly obvious. For longtime listeners of our show, Back when we were still in school at Spirit Live in our preseason predictions, I picked the San Jose Sharks to win the Stanley Cup, as I do pretty much every year. And they were the third worst team in the or second worst team, I think, technically in the NHL. They're right there with Ottawa. I don't think anybody expected that. Surely Ottawa didn't expect to have two top five picks. I don't think San Jose made the Eric Carlson trade expecting to give Ottawa a top five pick. Everything that went wrong went wrong for the Sharks this year. They couldn't stay healthy. They had key injuries to key players the entire year. Like, you know, we essentially have not gotten a healthy Eric Carlson with that team in the two years he's been there now. The aging core there, Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe, or Patrick Marlowe who came back, and Joe Thornton just, you know, keeps aging and aging. And is I think this is the end for this Sharks core. It just seems like it. Luke, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but I, I didn't expect them to be this bad. Yeah. And I, and honestly, if I were, if I were Sharks management prior to this year, you're kind of thinking like, uh, where are we? Do we have a few more years left? Do we not like look at this year and, and take that as your sign? You've got to, like, you've got to flip it over. It's, it's done, which is, is tough because, you know, you still have, well, uh, Thornton, big deals. Big deals Thornton's on the, on the one year, right? Yeah, Thornton's on but, one year, but you've got Burns, Vlasic, yeah. and Carlson all long term. And they're, those are all still really good players. Um, I, I honestly, not not just saying this in front of you, Nick. I'd be a bit worried about Carlson. Yeah, um, I, there there definitely is with his injury history now in the past couple of years. But you can you can build a team around that that core, even if you know it is well. Burns maybe not Vlasic, but, but maybe team. not Vlasic. But they I, do need to get younger, and I think this year definitely showed that. And you yeah. know, not having that top five pick really hurts them this year. Yeah, so I think just definitely take it take advantage of how bad you were this year and maybe start moving in the other direction patrick over to you different answer i was going to say san jose um because i do think they actually were the biggest disappointment but for the sake of a different answer um i put the florida panthers just given the hype and expectations around them after signing bobrovsky after his monster season in columbus obviously uh getting joel quenneville who is still some people think a top five coach in the nhl um and they were just so inconsistent this year and we've talked about it how long it took that final stretch for teams such as toronto uh florida and uh new york and not saying montreal but the way it took so long for those teams to finally finally secure a spot in the playoffs uh and they were just so inconsistent and bobrovsky played terrible some of the worst hockey he's played and he's making 
10 million dollars until 2026 and um, I still think Florida's a good team, but given the expectations and the hype around them, given those two um, additions, they were uh, pretty disappointing. So, Yeah, and definitely some reasons to have Florida in that mix, Pat. I think we all sort of had Florida in the playoff mix, at least in our preseason predictions. I don't think yeah. any of us thought they were going to miss it um, like they did. And, you know, obviously the thing with Florida is they've spent so much on big names like Bobrovsky, and it's just really fallen flat for them. And that playoff race between them and Toronto towards the end of uh, the season before the COVID shutdown was just terrible. I don't think either of them really at that point deserved to make the playoffs, but you know, if Florida had any sort of glimmer of what we all thought they were going to be, there's no reason why they shouldn't have made the playoffs this year, at least, but definitely one of the more disappointing teams for sure. We're now going to head over to another best category. It's the best trade of the season. Patrick, I will throw it right back to you. You can start us here. I think you and Luke might have some similar answers here. A lot of yeah, big pattern some, with that. I have some so. runners up too, and I'll, I'll mention them. Okay, great. So Patrick, I'll start with you then, and then Luke can add anything and your runners up. I just, I didn't have, I don't have any runners up, but I do have just the, the sole trade. That's the Pajot trade. I thought Dorian had such a, unbelievable deadline it's exactly what i thought montreal should have done so sorry you're putting this the Peugeot, jean gabriel pajot trade from ottawa's perspective no i i, I honestly think they, they maximize on a player's value and I, I do think it's one of the better trades of the season um also it's for the sake of a different answer i was going to put them the, the I'm not, i won't say it but your trade but i think it's fantastic you get a first round pick a second round pick um and it adds to an already solid uh set of picks you have going into this year's draft. Um, I know Pajot was a fan favorite in Ottawa and, and a solid playoff performer, but um, yeah, I think, I think it's a good, de- good deal from uh, Dorian. Luke. Yeah. My first answer was also Pajot, but I think you, you have to give credit to the Islanders side as well. Um, especially the, the immediate signing, but my mentions kind of minor um, NS and Athanasiu to the Oilers I thought no connection there but I thought those were both really good kind of supplementary trades and if they had a better playoff run I think those would be maybe under a bit more spotlight and also Chandler Stevenson I thought that was that was smart excellent pickup for Vegas yeah definitely uh just to cap off on the Peugeot talk you know I think that I think we can all agree that's definitely one of the trades the rare ones that works out really well for both teams because the Islanders got what they needed Peugeot helped them during their playoff run Ottawa obviously supplementing the rebuild. And I think it would look a lot better for Ottawa if the Islanders didn't have the playoff run they had, because now that pick is going to be in the 28 to 29 range versus, you know, sort of, I thought at least initially it was probably going to be in the 16 to 20 range, which would have been really exciting, but either way, it's still a good trade for both sides. Uh, My answer for this one was a trade between the Pittsburgh Penguins and Edmonton Oilers that nobody cared about back in September the Pittsburgh Penguins brought in John Marino from the Edmonton Oilers for a sixth round pick. And, you know, hands up if you knew who John Marino was before this season, because he quickly went from a college prospect afterthought to a pretty solid top four defenseman in Pittsburgh. And one of the reasons why they were able to put together such a solid regular season, when I think, again, we all thought they were maybe going to slide off a bit from what they've usually been, what we expected them. But John Marino, uh, in his rookie year in the NHL was an outstanding top four defenseman and getting that for a sixth round pick is incredible value. And I think, you know, just one season in, there's definitely a lot more for him to grow. So it's a really good trade and one a classic example of something 
we all knew nothing about, not, nobody paid attention to it and it worked out really well. And conversely, again, we're going to head to the worst trade of the year. And we all had the same answer here. Uh, we can go community answer on this one. Luke, I'll start with you. Well, I mean, Taylor Hall, uh, the Taylor Hall trade, you could, you could almost say, I don't know. I, I, and it's, it's just, it's, it's funny that, that Arizona is in the position and not even all of it's because of, because of the hall trade, obviously, but they're just in such a, such a terrible spot right now. And what should have been kind of a key acquisition has like, I wouldn't say it's backfired, but it just hasn't, hasn't showed up like it should have. I don't know. It's, it's kind of self-explanatory, but yeah, Pat Taylor. Yeah, Hall. I, I also had hall and, and looking at, it seems like the Devils went for quantity over quality here, um, given that they got a lot, but that much isn't worth for um, Taylor Hall, seeing as Arizona gave up three three lottery-protected first-round picks, um, a third-round selection in 2021, and then the prospects, uh, Kevin Ball, Nick Merkley, and Nate Schnarr, um, they're okay prospects and they're going to be fine NHL players, but none of those people are outstanding. And comparatively to the Mark Stone deal, you got Brandstrom and a second round pick and we can debate Taylor Hall or Mark Stone. Hall, obviously the more uh, prolific scorer, but um, I was expecting a much bigger return for Hall. And uh, for that reason, it's the worst rate. And they retained 50%. So doesn't make a lot of sense yeah, to no, me. I'm not they, really they, sure. It seems like they were being too nice. And, and again, I, I think they just went quantity over quality um i think they could have gotten something better for hall well we just said with the Peugeot trade it was one that worked out really well for both teams and it's something we don't see that often this is a trade that was i think terrible on both sides i think you know while new jersey has the assets that you know they're going to have these assets now for years that they can use um to draft players that they're going to have in their organization and they filled out their organization with solid prospects from arizona but like you said patrick we all felt like at the time they should have got more and based on the trajectory Arizona was on, we thought it was all a steal for Arizona, but then they sort of tailed off right after they traded for him. And this deal really blew up in their face. Yeah. And, you know, given where Arizona is now, Taylor Hall's a UFA. I, I don't think anybody here thinks he's going back to the desert. This all seems like a giant wasted uh, waste of time for both sides here. So yeah. a trade that was bad for both parties, Best signing of the year, Patrick. Um, I was going to put who you guys put, but I, I want to let people know that for the sake of having a different answer, um, I did change it up. I put um, Joe Pavelski in the Dallas Stars. I thought he had a, I know it's a, a lot of money. Um, I know it's only, well, seven mil for another two years, but he's been absolute money for the Stars um, in the playoffs. A big reason they've, they've made it this far. Look, he has 16 points in 24 games. Um, 36. I know I don't want to say people thought he was washed, but I don't think people expected him to be able to produce at the rate he has been able to do. So for that reason, I'm saying Joe Pavelski. Yeah, he definitely tailed off in the regular season, jumped down from 38 goals all the way down to 14 over the span of a year. But I think that I don't think that's why they brought him in. I think they brought him in knowing that he was a prolific playoff performer and with 10 goals in the playoffs so far, he's definitely lived up to that. Luke, your best signing of the year. You have a couple down here. Both of them, again, um, pretty minor. I I would agree with Pavelski, and I'll I would agree with yours when you when you get to it, Nick. But I had Nolachari and Brandon Tanev. Um, obviously, not 
not players that are going to absolutely swing a team like both of yours are. Uh, well, yeah. Um, but, you know, nice, um, again, supplementary players, I would say, on on solid contracts. Brandon Tanev, I, I like the term there as well until 25. Uh, Achari, not so much um, lengthwise, just until 22. But uh, I, I think for, for what they're worth, that makes sense. And, and those are the kinds of players any team needs and, you know, specifically Pittsburgh and Florida, although we'll see, we'll see what direction Florida goes. Those are both players any team needs if they're going to, I don't know, kind of make that, make that jump, I guess. Yeah. And well, I do disagree somewhat on Brandon Tanev, especially. Really? But That's the one I, I was yeah. feeling stronger about. Yeah, no, I, I, I like Nolachari because of the 20 goals. Tanev, I think, did the job defensively and on the penalty kill for Pittsburgh. But I think term and money-wise, still a bit of an issue. But uh, my uh, best signing of the year was Artemi Panarin. To bring in a Hart Trophy winner via free agency is unbelievable it almost never really happens and i think that was a great move for the new york rangers exactly what they needed to accelerate their rebuild and obviously like there's not much more to say they brought in a heart trophy contender through free agency so excellent move for the rangers and i i could sit here and rave about artemi panarin all day i'm sure we all could so artemi panarin for me worst signing of the year i'll start off with this one uh i'm sorry luke but i'm gonna go with tyler myers in vancouver uh Tyler Myers is a name. He's been around for a while now, but they signed him this long because he's big. I don't think he does much else uh, for a hockey team besides being tall. And I think five years and $6 million is a lot. And it's especially going to hurt the Canucks uh, given where they are salary cap wise. So I didn't like the investment short or long-term in this point for Vancouver. Patrick, uh, um, again, I, I know I put this before for biggest disappointment, but even if he scored 30 goal, goals, I still think Jeff Skinner is the worst signing of the season. He has had history with injuries, and I think $9 million is way too much for a player of that caliber. Um, he has had multiple seasons of not playing. I don't think he's played a full season. Actually, throughout his career, looking at this now, he's never played a full season. So, um, wait, no, yeah, he has. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong stat line. Anyway, uh, I just I don't think he's worth that much money, and uh, he's a, a big disappointment uh, for me this year. All right, Luke Bobrovsky, um, and it's I don't know because the okay, obviously the 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 ten million dollars is a lot of money, but that that term like I'm I'm against signing goalies long-term like that anyways and this this is just i and i think yeah i think a lot of people would agree with that but this is just this just makes it all the worse that you that you gave him that much money and it you know it's not it's not an insane idea because he has had some very strong years uh he kind of dipped a little bit and then this year was even worse so that's gonna that's gonna hurt for a long time coming i if if it was shorter term like two maybe three years i'd say eh, okay but that that length just sucks all right uh that concludes our best and worst portion of the awards we've now got a couple of more fun categories here uh patrick what is your wtf moment of the season that moment in the season that made you stand up off the couch and say what's going on what is um, this joe thornton punching uh 
Peter Morazic in the face. I didn't actually see this in the moment. I looked back at some highlights of this year and it's the funniest thing because they're just face to face and Joe Thornton looks at him. They look at each other and not even just like not a face wash, not a little tap, just punches him in the face and he just throws his body back. I didn't expect that from Joe Thornton. I didn't expect that between the two of them. Yeah. So very, my, very rarely do you see yes. Joe Thornton lose his cool like that. And yeah. for somebody who's been the craziest pressure moments uh, compared to any NHL player, it's crazy. Luke over to you. Well, so I, I was the last one to get to this category when we were writing these in our little document and I'm surprised no one had mentioned this yet, but I'm not sure if people remember when the Toronto Maple Leafs lost to a, uh, Zamboni driver. It was like forever ago. It, it does. I don't even, was that January or February? I don't remember when that was. I, 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 I don't know. I think it was funny. It was funny. It was funny. It was really funny. And uh, like, even, even thinking of it now, it's like, like how, how does something like that happen? How can a team be so bad? And and just, it's, I I feel like, you know, we talked about it a lot when it happened, but we don't talk about it enough almost. Like the Toronto Maple Leafs lost to a Zamboni driver. (laughs) And they, like, and watching that game, like, it's not like they were, they weren't getting shots. He made some good saves. He made some really good saves. So yeah, so good for David Ayers, and I'm glad he got the media tour in after. Uh, mine was Scott Sabrin scoring versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously, that was after uh, the incident with Austin Matthews in the preseason, where Matthews uh, took a peek as if to say, uh, "Who the heck is this guy?" And then on opening night of the season, Scott Sabrin went and scored his first NHL goal in his first NHL game. Uh, I definitely stood up and laughed after that one. And quickly now, guys, uh, in the mo- in the feels moment of the season, what moment got you guys in the feels? I'll go quickly. And it hurts now more that he's being bought out, but Bobby Ryan's emotional returning hat trick against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, you know, obviously uh, knowing everything that happened to him and the way he came back in his first game and to score a hat trick at home and seeing the fans stand up and appreciate that was awesome. So glad for Bobby Ryan. And I'm happy. That's like my last memory of him as an Ottawa Senator, uh, Luke, as a Vancouver fan, I would also say the Bobby Ryan moment. Um, that was really special to watch. I'd also say, and total bias, Chris Tanev, especially if he's gone scoring against Minnesota to put Vancouver into the playoffs, I guess. Patrick, we'll throw it to you with our last award here, and then you can wrap up the show for us. Yes, of course. Um, again, I was also going to put the Bobby Ryan. Um, Patrick, that was really emotional. Really cool to watch, but I put Lindblom's first game back, um, sort of putting the animosity of playoff hockey aside, both teams stood up and, and, and tapped their sticks. And it was just a really cool emotional moment. I'm really happy for him. Um, that sort of does it for the take to take awards. We definitely want to expand on this, add more awards and add more segments to our show. Um, I know we are going to looking to do a mailbag in the next couple episodes, have questions asked to us that we can answer live on the air, whether it be about our teams or hockey in general, we have some interviews coming up, a lot of fun segments, but that's just what does it for us. Remember, you can catch us Thursday, 3 to 5, and Friday night, 7 to 8. And I want to remind every single one of you who's listening that this show can be heard on Barnburner Radio Network on its 122 platforms. And you can check out all of it on barnburner.ca for all the news and updates. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here, and we'll see you next time.